1: Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. Thanks for joining us on today's show, where you will learn about restoring the health and power of your true self, how to let go of the past so you can start thriving today. My first guest is Dr. Christiane Northrup. She is the author of the newest book, and there are many of them, but the latest one is Dodging Energy Vampires, an empath's guide to evading relationships that drain you and restoring your health and power. Dr. Northrop is a board certified OBGYN, former assistant clinical professor of OBGYN at the University of Vermont College of Medicine and New York Times bestselling author, now dedicating her life to helping women truly flourish by learning how to enhance all that can go right with their bodies. And I'm going to add Chris and right with their lives.
2: Thank you. Yeah, because your life is what influences your body more than anything else. Yeah,
1: I just, you know, that's a freebie, you know, that little update to the the bio. (laughs) That's really
2: good. Thank you. Thank you.
1: So let's talk about these people who bleed the goodwill from our hearts and minds. We all know someone or many like this.
2: That's right. It's about one in five people in psychiatry. They call it cluster B. There is nothing uh, biochemically wrong with them, even though many are go to therapists and psychiatrists because they drive their partners and their family members crazy. And so think about it one in five, that means everyone who's listening has at least one in their lives. There's a spectrum. So it ranges from people who are just a little annoying with their, uh, OCPD, uh, obsessive compulsive personality disorder or narcissistic traits to the full blown psychopaths like Harvey Weinstein or Jeffrey Epstein. And so just remember that the ones that just have a few traits that drive you nuts, you can live with. Um, the main thing is for those of us who are uh, empathic by nature, which is everyone listening to your show, um, we keep thinking that there's something wrong with us because what they're good at is getting your energy. Their, their yes. lives, are, you know, they're just good at. It's kind of talk about me good, talk about me bad, just talk about me. They'll do whatever it takes to get attention placed on them. Attention is known in the trade as narcissistic supply. So instead oh. of tapping into um, source energy. Uh, you know, nature, the electromagnetic field of the earth, God, as you understand God, being, breath, great food, they tap into the energy of other people. Because deep down inside, there isn't a self there. What, what they are operating out of is a sort of false ego. But here's the deal. You can't Help them. They have to want to help themselves. And this is where many healers and empaths get tripped up because what they're really good at, they have what I call a malignant intuition. They know exactly what you and your little wounded child inside have always longed to hear. And so they string you along and they, you look into their eyes and you think, Oh my God, they get me. But they yes. just, you know, they <laughs> get me. And you can't take your eyes off them. They're often very, very charismatic, uh, very good looking. Their energy, they live on drama. So they're often in the beginning, very fun, very fun. You know, I had a, a friend like this and she'd always say whenever I came back from anything, she'd say, you won't believe what happened. You know, whoa, I've got the dish on whatever. And that was a, a long friendship until I finally woke up. And then uh, my business associate, Diane and I, would look at each other after about a year without this drama. And we would say, oh, my God, isn't this peace unbelievable? I mean, (laughs) (laughs) it's like, whoa, room tone. There's peace. There's nobody stirring things up constantly. So just remember they're not here to get better. And when an empath thinks they can help them, that is the kiss of death. And for men, by the way, I see so many great men who uh, believe that they can save these women. And then they end up, I, it, to me, I, the image that always comes to me is dried up husks on the side of the road. Because what happens is once you're onto them, once you see how it works, where they're constantly getting you off balance to get your energy. Once you see how it works and you end it, they are on to someone else. I swear to you in 15 minutes. And that can be after a 25 year marriage where you're devastated because you think, didn't this person ever really love me? And, uh, and unfortunately, the sobering answer to that is no, because they, they don't know what love is.
1: Or they love to the best of their capability, which is pretty small.
2: Uh, yes, because to them, love is a uh, second chakra, love. It's sex, it's attention, it's money, it's material goods, it's how good you can make them look. I, I have a friend who was married to one for about 18 years, and she finally got out of that relationship. And she said, oh, my God, you know, I'm now with a man who can stand on his own two feet. It was so exhausting trying to make my husband look better than he was, Ew. you know, or I making excuses for him. Now remember there are people out there who have sons and daughters who are energy vampires. There are those with mothers and fathers. Uh, there are those yes. with sisters and brothers. There are many uh, spouses, but there's always someone. It's, it's kind of the daughter-in-law who won't let you see your grandchildren because she's Ooh. just going to put the, oh yeah, that's common. That's common. Uh, because she's so jealous of anyone else having any attention, because they really believe in the zero-sum model. There's only so much to go around, and if I am not getting all the attention, you know, then uh, there's not going to be enough. And you could, you know, we could say, how do they get that way? I, I have to, you know, I hate to drop it to you folks, or, <laughs> but some are just born that way. And that's incredibly important to know, because here's here's the belief, what George Simon in his book in Sheep's clothing points out. He said, where we get hooked is the belief that only hurt people hurt people. In other words, they've been hurt in childhood, and that's where why they act like they do. It's important for all of us to remember that the vast majority of people who were hurt in childhood do not take it out on others. They do not. Mm,
1: This is a sobering thought. I mean what about our own choice? in the relationships that we engage to that somebody who will love a narcissist or who will love an energy vampire, we are attracted to them because they are exciting or whatever the case may be. And once we sober up
2: with that, now what? Bingo. Bingo. (laughs) That's the whole key. Right. To to realize that that
1: addiction, because it is kind of a little
3: addictive.
2: No, it's very addictive because they're so exciting. They're so exciting. And because they never quite go away. I mean, 20 years after they've last seen you, they'll send you a cheeky little seductive text. It's amazing. So what you have to do, <laughs> the, the very best way to do it is cold turkey. Like the minute you know what you're dealing with, because they do not change, uh, you do no contact. That is the mm. only way. Now, um, if you're addicted to one in a sexual relationship, What often happens is it takes two years to get over, uh, for a woman in particular, two years to get over that addiction once you've let the guy in, once you've let him in. And by the way, that would apply to um, lesbian couples, gay couples. Once you've let that person into your body, uh, there's a um, sort of a thing that happens in the brain, and it's very hard. It's harder to get over that than crack cocaine. So just, yeah, no contact, no contact. And the way you stay out of it, if you're in a new relationship. So, you know, because I I have in my community people who say, oh, my God, I thought that I had healed this. But the next person I dated was exactly the same. Or men will say the next woman I dated was exactly the same. And, you know, I look at the um, pictures of the last four women I've been with. (laughs) They're they're, they're,
1: all identical.
2: (laughs) They're identical. Okay. So let's look at it this way. Okay. You look in the mirror and you say, okay, who's got the problem? Me. What you want to do. Common denominator. Yeah. Common denominator. uh, You know, who was there every time this happened, who was there? Oh, the person looking in the mirror. (laughs) So that's where your power is. So you begin to realize they are attracted to you because of your light. You don't believe you have the light. You think you need someone to tell you, you think you're not whole. And many empaths are born with an inferior ego. We look for things to improve about ourselves to feel good. So therefore, we're addicted to self-improvement. And an energy vampire will always, they'll love bomb you, but they'll also tell you the things that aren't right. So you keep trying to make it better about yourself instead of to be human. So once you see those tendencies in yourself, then you need to have a team. I have a team of two women who are very close to me, and... Uh, many of us have what are called super traits, uh, super traits of um, dependability, hard working loyalty. So the very kind of person who attracts these often is very good at every other area of their lives. So you often hear, I don't understand how such a good guy could constantly attract the wrong woman or vice versa. I don't understand how such a good woman, she's so good, she runs a Fortune 500 company. Why are her relationships always like this? Well, what it is, is that we tend to attract fixer-uppers because we're so good at it and we fall in love with their potential. So you've got to remember, there was some sportscaster who said, potential means you ain't done shit yet. So I think that that's really important to understand your ability to see someone's potential. That is a super trait. It's a strength, but you can't spend 30 years waiting for, Ann Wilson Shape called it the process of the promise. And what happens is every time you get ready to leave, they throw you a crumb. They throw you a bone. They throw you another hook. Oh, my God. Thank God you're here for me. No one else could heal me. By the way, in a medical practice, 25 to 30 percent of the people are narcissistic energy vampires. They don't really want to get better. They want your energy. So they use the medical system for this. So, you know, we're not just talking about intimate family relationships. We're also talking about business relationships. Um, I had a colleague who worked in a Waldorf school. So imagine a Waldorf school. Everyone is there because of the work of Waldorf. Uh, a very touchy-feely um, place. Very you know? A <laughs> very empathic place. So an energy vampire would be able to come in there and they work by splitting. Uh, we've always said in, in our psych ward at the hospital, you can tell when there's a borderline on the unit, the nurses start fighting with each other. So they play one against the other. Oh, you're my favorite you know, yeah. and, and that kind of thing. So you have to know what you're dealing with. And most people don't know what they're dealing with, because these people, the energy vampires are often surrounded by a group of flying monkeys. That's the flying monkeys <laughs> from the Wizard of Oz who go out and do their bidding. And, and the minute that anyone gets close to calling a spade a spade, the flying monkey who doesn't understand, who could be a family member, um, lands on you. So, mer- very often, here's what you got to be ready for. So, let me be very sobering about this. You've, when you have a family member like this, a mother, a father, sister, brother, very often the wagons circle the sick person as, um, yes. You know, they, they circle the sick person. So, if you want to be healthy, you've got to be willing to be alone and not have family approval for a while until. Your vibration attracts your new tribe because very, very often what they're so good at is pitting people against each other. And that you see, that gives them narcissistic supply and it gives them control. So, so the first thing you will experience most likely is a sense of profound loss, but that's way better than having your lifeblood sucked out. Yeah.
1: Let's go to the break. And when we come back, we're going to continue the conversation with Dr. Christian Northrup to learn more about her work and her vast library of amazing books, please visit www.drnorthrup.com, on Twitter at Dr. Chris Northrup, and on Facebook, that page is Dr. Christiane Northrop. Here comes the break. We'll be right back. And that is a guarantee. We're talking about dodging energy vampires. Hang on just a minute here. Before we take that break, I want to chat with you about the important intersection of fashion and comfort. As a busy style conscious professional i always want to look my best whether i'm meeting with clients running errands or on the road traveling and that's why today's episode sponsor beta brand hits that mark spot on with dress pant yoga pants i'm a huge fan of beta brand's designer bottoms that come in dozens of styles and colors these pants are super comfy perfectly stretchy and stay wrinkle free And the best part is they perform well and make my backside look great. I've got several pairs of these dream boats. Dress pant yoga pants have all the style of traditional dress pants, plus all the flexibility and comfort of your favorite yoga wear. Whatever your style, Beta Brand has pants to match. Dress pant yoga pants come in boot cut, straight legs, skinny cropped, and more – And right now, our listeners can get 20% off their first order when you go to betabrand.com slash happiness. That's 20% off your first order at betabrand.com slash happiness. Millions of women agree that these are the most comfortable pants you'll ever wear to work. Go to betabrand.com slash happiness for 20% off. Now here comes the break. We'll be right back. And that is a guarantee.
0: To learn more about cultivating sustainable well-being at home and the office, visit HarvestingHappiness.com and explore Lisa's experiential on-site brain fitness workshops, corporate programming, and speaking engagement services.
1: And we are back talking about restoring the health and power of your true self, how to let go of the past so you can start thriving today. Let's return to the conversation with my guest, Dr. Christiane Northrup. So Chris, in the last segment, we were talking a little bit about how to put oneself in relationship rehab with these characters and stopping
2: the insanity. Oh yeah. So a couple of things you notice. Here's another one. You're with someone and suddenly you feel like you're going to fall asleep. Like you literally have to start digging your nails into <laughs> your palms to not fall asleep. And that means that they have a cord in you and they are sucking and you probably won't even notice if this is what you've grown up with. Yeah. Right? If you've grown up that you, w- this is normal, you see. And that's why this can be so insidious and so hard to heal and why so many people Go through, uh, you know, 18, 20, 30, 35 years in a relationship without realizing what they're dealing with. Now, when you realize it, you have to have a couple of friends who you can bounce off of. And, and I would say to you, anyone listening, if you know someone where this happened and you got out of the relationship, you can always tell that you're healing because let's say the first one lasts 30 years the second one you woke up in 12 years, the third one it only took you five years, the fourth one it only took you two, and then eventually you get to the point where you can see them coming. But most of us with super traits literally have congenital blindness for these people. We really believe the best in everyone. We believe that everyone comes from love. This is not true. But it's a very hard lesson to learn. So you have to have a couple people who are truth tellers who will say to you, hey, don't get involved. Because, and then you'll start to make excuses for the person. That's what we always do. Oh, they're and really I, good. They're really yeah, good at heart. It, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You don't really understand. and And then you start in with, well, you know, their dog died when they were two, you know, that kind of thing. And that's why they treat me so shitty. But, you know, but they're really a good person. Um, and, you know, you could say, yeah, in the spirit world, after they die, they'll be a very good person. And you'll see that they came down to help you with your self-esteem. Hi, when I before when I'm going to wear the black hat, you wear the white hat and I'll help you grow spiritually. But that means you got to grow spiritually. So let me give you another couple tasks tactics. Let's say you're not in an intimate relationship, but you're you're going to go to a family holiday dinner or a birthday party and you know who it is. So, yes,
1: we all know who that is.
2: (laughs) That's right. So what you, what you do is, um, couple tactics that work beautifully or a friend calls you and only calls you when they want something. This is standard. And then a little tiny part of you goes, Oh God, they like me. They haven't forgotten me. No, no, of course they, they, they know that you're a sucker and you'll help them move on a Saturday when you had other plans. Okay. So just know that. So you got to first learn how to say no. And you'll always know that you're on the right track when you feel guilty for saying no. So don't say no. Say, you know what? I got to think about it. Let me get back to you. You got to stop the train. Mm. Let me think about it. Let me get back to you. So that's the first thing when you're asked to do something that in your gut doesn't feel right, but you haven't exactly made a super highway out of the gut frontal lobe connection. Two, let's say that they ask you something. Here's another good way. They will never go toward you if you have a problem. So do broken wing. Oh God, I'm not feeling well. Or I just, you know, I feel like maybe I broke my leg or I think I'm coming down with Ebola and whatever, whatever. Just do something where you have a need. They will back off very quickly, very quickly. And then the third one is gray rock. Gray rock is good. So this is this works well in a business setting. Always someone comes over to bother you. You just pretend you're a gray rock. (laughs) Like you're literally there's nothing there's nothing you have to give. And I had a community member who said, oh, my God, I did that gray rock thing at work. It worked so beautifully, but I felt so guilty because you feel like giving them your energy is helping them. Every bone in your body says this is helping them. And I want you all to know it is doing the opposite. The most most loving thing you can do for these people is stop giving them narcissistic supply, allow them to hit bottom so that they wake up in this life or the next. And George Simon says that he's seen some of them wake up. If they do, it's in their 60s and they have utter contrition. Contrition means being broken into a thousand pieces. And he said, you don't have to do anything. They will do anything to make up for it. I have never seen it. And here's the problem. If you are an empath with super traits, and I tell you that sometimes they might change, it is like Jim Carrey in Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> you know, like, uh, what's the chances that you would ever have a date with me? It's one in a million. <gasps> so you mean there's a chance? It's like that. It's, it's like that. It, it, we would hang around for 200 years expecting them to change. Now, here's another thing that I wanted to mention. It's important. It's important.
3: But but hang (laughs) on.
1: Before we go, I want to just go back to the gray rock technique and sort of run that through because there are some instructions with this, right? That you, to try and be as emotionally, emotionless as possible.
2: That's it. That's it. You, You, there's nothing. You're not giving off anything. Poker face. That's it. You're drab. Think about that you just stepped into a gray tent. Maybe that's moldy. Just just it's something where you are giving off no good vibes at all, which means that you have to turn your light down a little bit, you know, like, but another thing you can do, you can uh, exude divine love, which is a toxin to toxic people. So you can just put a whole 360 degree orb of divine love around you. And you know how vampires in all the vampire movies, they can't stand the sunlight, their skin all cracks and they die. It's true. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right. True. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, to exude divine love is an answer. Does not yeah, change yeah. the other person?
2: No, but it makes them go away. Because remember, divine love is God's love. It's not personal love. Where right. we get turned into uh, a dry husk is personal love. Giving them our money, giving them our time, giving them uh, sex, giving them whatever they want, giving them status, giving, you know. No. Just divine love. That's kind of like God use me and put out a beam of uh, an orb of light all around you. That's not my love. It's sort of thy love. So So, that's one to try.
1: So we've got these characters in our lives and everybody knows who that person or, or people are that have some of these qualities of being an energy vampire. How do we show up in our lives to be as neutral and respectful as possible? while
2: protecting ourselves.
1: I I understand the gray rock and the divine love, but we might have to engage with these characters no matter what. Yes.
2: Yes, you very often do have to. So, okay. So you have to set boundaries. It's all about boundaries. So let's say that it's your mother and you know, like it's your mother and you want to have a relationship with her. So you have to have, you set up before you're even visiting, you set up an exact time when you're going to get there, an exact time when you're going to leave. Then when she starts going south, starts criticizing your hair, your husband, your job, your makeup, (laughs) then you know, then you know that she has received the amount of love that she can tolerate. And then you take your leave or Uh. choose something that the two of you love. That's kind of neutral. Like you see a movie or you go to lunch or you go to an art gallery or you take a walk. You have to have a set beginning and a set end. End. Now, here's what'll happen with the energy vampire. Oh, you're leaving so soon. I never see you. You've got to. Okay, uh, here show. comes the guilt so, trip. <laughs> you know? that, Cheryl Richardson has a, a chapter title in her book, "The Art of Extreme Self Care," and it, the the chapter title is "Let Me Disappoint You." You have That's to be funny. able to tolerate the fact that people that they won't like you. And to a, a kid, if it's a parent, doesn't matter if it's a 60 year old kid. There's a part of you that feels like that's going to kill you because you needed your parents to survive. So you just have to be able to stay with that feeling until you get good at it. Well, you never call me and you can say, you're right. I never do. So don't argue. You're right. I don't. You just, and then boom, it, it stops the, the flow. Well, you, you don't visit me. No, I don't. <laughs> you just <laughs> say that. Wow. And there's nothing they can do. No, you're right. You're right. Stop arguing because the arguing keeps giving them the narcissistic supply. You see, it keeps it going.
1: The fierce honesty, you know, there's yeah. no, there's no comeback from that. None.
2: No, you're right. You're right. <laughs> and then they poke, you know, well, why? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you just say, nope, I don't know why. I hmm. don't know why. But you don't see, don't get many of these people. This is important. have had a lot of couch time. Meaning they've gone to many therapists and unless a therapist understands narcissistic personality disorder, they will dominate the therapy encounter. Many yes. of them spend to four and five therapists and the therapist doesn't know what to do because they think that talking about it is going to help. It will not
1: yeah. ever. It keeps, it keeps the character alive.
2: That's right. You got to think. Uh, George Simon told me this analogy, which I loved. He said, you think that these people put you on the defensive on purpose. It is like a cat with a mouse. Think about it. The cat is not wounded from being a little kitten. The cat is playing with the mouse because it's exciting.
1: Yeah.
2: Well, the puppeteering. It's puppeteering. Yeah. They got, they know exactly what they're doing. And I think that this is, it is so hard for a normal empathetic person to imagine this because we couldn't do that if our lives depended on it. We just couldn't do it. It goes against our moral fiber. So, therefore, when you say, when your mother says, you never visit and I'm so lonely, you're right, Mom, boom, we feel so bad because if anyone did that to us, it would be terrible Yeah. because we're trying so hard to be a good person. They aren't. They aren't
1: you give a uh, food for thought with the pearls of wisdom in dodging energy vampires and empath's guide to evading relationships that drain you and restoring your health and power. Thank you, Dr. Christiane Northrup for being on the show. To learn more about Chris Northrup and her work, please visit drnorthrup.com on Twitter at Dr. Chris Northrup and on Facebook, Dr. Christian Northrup and also Instagram, which I failed to mention earlier is Dr. Christian Northrup. Chris, thanks for being on the show. That was fun. Here comes that pause. We'll be right back. And that is a promise. Welcome back to the show. We're continuing our conversation about restoring the health and power of your true self, how to let go of the past so you can start thriving today. My next guest is Renee Linnell. My guest today, Renee Linnell, is a serial entrepreneur who has founded and co-founded five companies and has an executive master's in business administration from New York University. Currently, she is working on starting a publishing company to give people from diverse walks of life an opportunity to tell their stories. She divides her time between Colorado and Southern California, and she is the author of The Burn Zone, a memoir. And I'm really delighted to have a conversation with Renee because... She's a spiritual warrior of sorts. Renee, thanks for joining us on the show. Hey, me. Renee, it, the book that you've written, The Burn Zone, is a memoir, and it takes you on the path of seeking the truth, your truth. And I'd love for you to talk a little bit about that journey.
3: The journey for me started when I was young, because most of my family died before I turned 15 and then my father died on Thanksgiving Day when I was 15 and left me within an, an alcoholic, abusive mother. And so I just thought there has to be more to life than what I'm learning in school and in church. I was raised Catholic. And so I went on this quest and I read all these different books and I ended up traveling around the world, 50 countries by the time I was in my early 30s. Um, And I just, I ended up with this dream life as a professional Argentine tango dancer and a surf model. But I was really unhappy inside. I had this deep soul sickness and nobody was really out there talking about people that quote, have everything, but are still so sad and empty inside. So I thought I was the only one. And when I was 33, I walked into a tantric Buddhist meditation seminar and I and that's how the book opens. But I meditated, truly meditated for the first time, and my mind exploded into peace and white light and stillness. And I thought, I'm home. I don't care who this woman is. I don't care what she says. I'm sticking around. This is what I've been searching for.
1: Wow. Well, that's quite a story in terms of your early life and and loss,
3: right? You know, rebound yeah.
1: rebounding from loss is a challenge for many of us and it, it no not I would say all of us at some point in time experience that loss and what it takes for us to come come back you know and being so young how that must have been a challenge and put you on the path
3: well and I think those you know I think that's the beautiful thing about life shattering us is it softens us and opens us and makes us much more available to any other Paradigm of the world that will bring us peace and joy. So that's beautiful. But the unfortunate thing is because we're so so open and willing to listen to anyone that has a way of living that brings peace and joy, um, I think we can be very vulnerable to narcissists who pose as spiritual teachers.
1: Talk a little bit about that part of your journey. You know, believing or wanting to believe that this person had the the keys to inner peace, contentment, and joy, and then seeing, sort of slowly seeing the truth for who this person is, and and how your discernment took you out of that?
3: Well, my teacher was a female, which I think really made me have my guard down even more. I was desperate for a mother figure, and a mentor and a guide, and she just seemed like exactly what I was looking for, Um And what she taught was that because we live in the West and we spend so much time at work, we need to use our work as our spiritual path. So we sharpen our minds through meditation in the morning and in the evening. And then we bring the best of ourselves to every moment at our career, which causes us to get promoted, make more money, create a life where we can meditate better, and then give back to the world through philanthropy. So right off the bat it sounded perfect to me. Um, And I realize now that all toxic relationships are the same. They start with romance. And if you go on a first date and somebody hits you or verbally abuses you, you don't go on a second date, but they start with making you feel seen and heard and loved and cherished and they build you up. And then the abuse comes slowly over time. Mm -hmm. And so that's what happened in this group. And,
1: the idea though that one could marry spirituality and business and i dare say even capitalism right that right. that money was not not a shameful thing but a vehicle that could be used for the greater good i would think is appealing right
3: it's very appealing because again i was raised catholic and that didn't work for me and then when i was studying other religions they all seemed kind of damning and there was a lot of sin and Um, that I just thought, okay, I love being alive and I love being in a human body. And I was kind of a bad girl, rebellious, um, (laughs) drag racing my Mustang and diving off the stage at punk rock concerts and sleeping with, you know, any cute boy that crossed my path as I was traveling the world surfing. And, um, but yet I felt this innate love for God, even though I wasn't even sure what God was. And I actually resisted the term, um, And so when this woman came along and said that I could live in the world and I could have a great career and I could make a lot of money and I could enjoy the pleasures of the body, and yet I could still be spiritual, I thought, okay, this sounds like something I can actually do. I'm not going to fail at this. I can do this and I can do this well.
1: Which is true, actually. I mean, I, I agree with that, that it is possible to have that.
3: Well, and I think... Honestly, that, of course, it would make sense, right? When you're aligned with source and you're tapped into who you truly are and you're following your own divine path, that, of course, you would be thriving so that anything that you touch in life would kind of turn into gold. And, and I do notice I didn't throw the baby out with the bathwater. I did keep a lot of what I learned from this group, and it did change my life in a very positive way once I undid the brain washing and the suicidal tendencies um, and build my life back together.
1: Wow! Um, Suicidal tendencies. What happened there?
3: Well, this group, I was with them for seven years and the plot thickens because there was a male spiritual teacher as well. Um, And I don't want to give the whole book away because it really, I've been told it's a page turner. Um, But I got, I'm very extreme. So I got very close to the teachers and my whole life, and this is what happens, you, slowly but surely your whole life becomes the group and then the group think kicks in and, and they, because it was tantric Buddhist mysticism, which means you live in the world and everything is your spiritual path. Um, Some of the tasks were extreme, like I was a professional dancer, and I was told to become a computer programmer. And then I was told to get my black belt in karate. And then I was told to go get an MBA from one of the hardest business schools in the world. And then start a business that made $10 million profit after taxes. So, you know, there were these amazing tasks, but yet I also was told to burn everything I own and to distance myself from friends and family. And as I did all of that, my support structure went completely away, which again is what abuse, abusers do in abusive relationships is they remove your support structure. And and so when it all came crumbling down, which it did when I was living in New York, Yes, I was very suicidal. I thought, why am I even here? And I don't know who I am and I don't know what I'm doing and I can't trust anybody and I can't trust myself. And so it was a mess. And what would you
1: say was the turning point when you realized, you know, without giving anything away, without being the spoiler alert here, (laughs) when the life that you had been living was no longer really serving your highest good and something had to change. There needed to be a break or a disruption.
3: Everything fell apart. I ended up being slandered in the New York tabloids, which was awful at the time, but it's actually quite funny now. And um, losing hundreds of thousands of dollars in a lawsuit, you know, it just was like my entire world blew up. And I just really couldn't get out of bed in the morning and um, everything was just crumbling. And then I had a near-death experience snowboarding and I should have died and I didn't, Um and when I didn't die, I everything shifted within an hour. I thought I don't want to be in New York anymore. I don't want to be doing anything that I'm doing. I don't want to be dating who I'm dating. I just want to move to Colorado and write. Wow. Um, yeah.
1: Wow. I mean that. Wow, in a good way. Like that is <laughs> that is an incredible turn of events. You know, it this,
3: is. The, yeah.
1: The, the you know adversity is the mother of invention, right? sometimes we need to go there in order to get where we need to be.
3: Well, and I realize we're so taken care of. It's like when we're so completely on the wrong path for what our soul really, truly wants, life comes along and smashes the crap out of us. And if we pay attention to it and we surrender and really shatter, then when we build the pieces back, we can build the authentic pieces. You know, I I just got was so shattered by life that I thought I'm so I'm just I have no energy left to be what the world needs me to be or what I think the world needs me to be. And I can only do what brings me joy. And then miracle of all miracles, as I started to only do what brought me joy, I found my true path. And that was when you went to Colorado and began to write. Yes. And what well, was that like? I didn't, I didn't realize <laughs> I thought I was going to move to Colorado and just start writing and become some best-selling author and have a new career. And instead, I moved to Colorado and fell apart even more And that's when the crap really hit the fan, let's just say. And for years, I was a mess. And I realized I wasn't just dismantling the seven years in the cult. I was dismantling my entire life to go back to childhood and undo all of that trauma. And so the healing took a lot longer than I thought it would. But... I came out the other side so much stronger and so much more authentic and then so much happier and kinder and more compassionate and wiser. And everything's funny to me now when it used to be so serious. And so I'm pretty happy with the results. We're going to
1: take a break. And when we come back, I want to talk with Renee about her next project, which she'll maybe tell us a little bit about, but also about the company that you're starting, the publishing company, to help others um, tell their stories. So much of who we are, the storytelling is essential to our well-being and our ability to connect with one another. But let's go to the break first. To learn more about Renee Linnell and her book, The Burn Zone, A Memoir, please visit ReneeLinnell.com. On Twitter, she's at Renee underscore Linnell. On Facebook, Renee Linnell Author. And on Instagram, Renee dot Linnell. Here comes the break. We'll be right back. And that is a promise.
0: Who says money can't buy happiness? Whether you are a skeptic or seeker, check out Lisa's new book, are We Happy Yet? 8 Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life, a boot camp manual for greater emotional fitness, is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and harvestinghappiness.com. Here's a truth bomb: Emotions are contagious, and happiness is a universally desired state. But we tend to forget that we all have the freedom to be happy or the liberty to be miserable each day, regardless of external circumstances. Explore the journey of human happiness, how to find it and keep it with Lisa's documentary film H Factor. Where is your heart? Visit harvestinghappiness.com to learn more. Happiness.
1: back continuing the conversation with Renee Linnell we're talking about restoring the health and power of your true self how to let go of the past so you can start thriving today let's get back to the conversation you're writing another book now and I would love for you to share with our listeners a little bit about whatever you feel comfortable about that book and then also talk about the publishing company because I love the heart with which you are starting this company
3: Oh, thank you. I'll start with uh, talking about the publishing company because as I went through this process, it started as a catharsis, just writing what happened to me so that I could heal. And Maya Angelou once said, there's no greater agony than bearing an untold story inside you. And I realized it's true for me. And then I realized it's true for all of us and especially the marginalized. Um, they're taught, I mean, we're all taught, really to hide within us the adversity and the trauma and the wounds and to shove it down and to put on a smiley face and to just blend in and suck it up and, um, and not talk about it. And I realized it's so important that we tell our stories. And, and I think I believe they're divine wounds that on some level, our soul signed up for them so that we could learn from them and grow and then go into the world and help others. And I paralleled it to soldiers, how they go through hell in training and then they go work in hell so that they can go help others. And one day I just thought, well, what if this was my training? What if this was the 50 pound pack I threw on my back as I walked up this mountain called life? I mean, wouldn't it be worth it if I could help others with this pain and this story and And so for me, that was the awakening. And then as I went through the publishing process, I realized you really either have to be famous to get a publishing deal, or you have to have money to self-publish. And I thought the people probably with the most intense stories that need to be told are the ones that really don't fit in either of those categories. Mm. So I would love to one day have a foundation that helps people, especially the marginalized voices, tell their stories.
1: Wow. I love that. Imagine, (laughs) imagine that you are somebody who has gone through something traumatic and has found your inner strength, as we all must do when we rise above adversity. And the telling of the story is the salve that heals, right? And if you don't have the the resources to use that as a vehicle, there's a missed opportunity.
3: It's true. And so I didn't realize how much time and energy and money would be need to go into promoting my own story. So this is now on the back burner. And I do see it as a charitable foundation at some point. But it is something that I dream about doing. And then meanwhile, I am writing my second book now, which is a follow up to the burn zone, and it picks up where the burn zone left off. And I realized that the first book, The Burn Zone is about what happens when you don't listen to your inner guidance. And the second book is about what happens when we do and all of the magic and miracles that come into play when we get on our true path and listen to our own inner guidance.
1: And why is that such a challenge for so many of us to listen to the inner guide that we somehow doubt that the voice inside really does know the way? Is it because... We spend so much time with that negative chatter, that self-talk that undermines our well-being, that we're afraid to listen to that powerful voice when it rises.
3: I think, unfortunately, we're trained to not listen to it as children. I think as children, we come in so perfectly equipped to walk through this world with a wide open heart optimistic, believing in magic and miracles, and knowing what brings us joy. And then unfortunately, the adults around us, as we start to say, yes, I want to do this, and no, I don't want to do that, or even something as simple as I don't want to go hug uncle so and so, because it doesn't feel good to me. The adults around say, no, you have to go hug so-and-so, or you have to do this. You can't, you know, if you're a boy, you can't wear a dress. You have to wear pants. I mean, and so we we get trained that in order to be good girls and boys, and in order to not be abandoned, which means death, we ignore our inner guidance. Yeah.
1: Isn't that the ultimate fear of that we will be abandoned, that we will be left alone, unsupported, and without resources?
3: Yes. And we're born to love and we love to love and we want so desperately to be loved in return. And as children, we're willing to change ourselves and betray ourselves in any way we need to in order to be loved.
1: What would you say has been the top three gifts of your story that has unfolded through writing the book, The Burn Zone?
3: Gifts for myself or yes. gifts for readers?
1: No, gifts for, gifts for yourself, <laughs> that your, your own gifts. That you've received?
3: Oh, gosh, there's so many. The number one would be liberation. It's funny, because everything I went after trying to become enlightened and a saint <laughs> um, <laughs> by burning everything I owned and, you know, just destroying my life. I realized when I was so broken, um, that me just being me is so easy. And me just being me brings me incredible joy and that I'm flawed, and I'm human, and I'm not perfect. But yet, when I bring the best of myself in every moment out into the world, I can be a saint, I can leave a bigger tip, and I can be nicer in traffic. And I can open doors for people and that are struggling with packages. And I can be kind to someone who's being rude. And, and so, as I went through writing the story, I thought, oh, my gosh, me just being me, Is a happy me, and a happy me is a kind me, and a kind me is actually a saint-like version of me. (laughs) So for all of us, you know, when we're happy. It's like when we're happy and we're in love, we want the whole world to be happy and in love. And so we've got to start tuning into what brings us joy. And and so the second thing was noticing it really is the little things. It's the cup of coffee and the porcelain mug for me, or it's walking in nature, or calling a friend. And and because I was suicidal, and I was going to leave the world one day, I thought, well, if I'm going to leave, what would I miss? And I was like, I would miss those little things. And I said, Well, why don't you spend tomorrow just doing those little things? And then suddenly, I wanted to stay another day. And so I think, you know, another gift was just realizing, I get to be happy, we're meant to be happy. It's okay to have a life that brings you joy. Yeah. <laughs> um, And then the last was just stripping away the BS, like no longer needing, you know, when people would say, what were you, what are you doing? I would say, I'm healing. Life kicked the crap out of me and I'm healing. And when people would say, why? I would say, cause I got brainwashed in a cold and totally effed up my whole life. And I'm a big fat loser that has no idea where to go next. And, um, it was really liberating to put it all out there to have nothing to hide and to have no more shame. Ah, the
1: S word. (laughs) (laughs) yeah Yeah, that that shame that i mean that is that is a toxic chemical
3: it is and that you know you put all your dirty laundry out there in print and it's like if i ever ran for political office they couldn't even dig anything up on me i just hand them the book and go read it so isn't that a gift It's such a gift and it weeds out people that think I'm a freak show or people, you know, that have it weeds them out of my life. And so it makes all this space for these amazing people to come in that actually are inspired. And so then I've gotten so many beautiful messages from all over the world on social media by people saying, I want to meet you or can you come talk to us or can we meet for coffee Because in my being willing to be so vulnerable and open, it gives them permission to do the same. And we all really just want to be loved and accepted for who we truly are.
1: You know, what's interesting is that we all have a burn zone. We do. (laughs) I mean, the title of your book is great, but like each one of us, I know I can can think of mine. (laughs) I'm sure people listening could think of theirs.
3: It's true. It's so true. And what if we were all able to just kind of like wave our freak flag loud and high and proudly and just, you know, run through life unashamed. What if? Yeah.
1: Yeah. For me, because I don't share the same story as you, but I have a story and as most people who are listening have stories. And I think if I had been limited by that story and not given myself permission to fall apart because there was a period of time where the same thing that happened to you happened to me, probably a little bit different circumstances, but the idea was let that freak fall. Yeah. I am sort of in smithereens right now. And that I'm hopeful that, that one day I'll be able to, you know, get back on a path of joy and then it happens.
3: Yes, it does. And the joy that comes on the other side of complete and utter, Shattering and surrender is this profound, deep childlike joy. And yes, of course, I go through my depressions. But now, in the past where I would go, what's wrong with me, or I try to talk myself out of having a depressed day or a couple days, now I know, okay, I'm useless for these. Today, I'm useless. I'm going to hunker down under a blanket and read. If I can do that. And if I have to be in the world, then it's like, I'm not going to be productive. I'm probably not going to be kind. So I have to give myself a lot of extra time and space and keep my mouth shut so I don't splatter my crap all over someone else. But there's such, a, yeah, there's such a liberation.
1: I, you know, keep distance from fellow humans in those, day, in those days.
3: <laughs> I know. I wish we could wear signs on our foreheads like the weather, you know, like cloudy chance of rain, bring an umbrella. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not approachable today.
1: And, you know, I guess honoring that that is okay. I think so many of us that that the shame is then stick, stuck upon the shame, right? It compounds like we're ashamed of the circumstances, then the shame for our reaction to the circumstances. And the shame multiplies, divides like a cancer. And then we're really stuck.
3: It's true. And especially for those of us on some sort of spiritual path that think, erroneously that we're supposed to be all joy and sunshine and magic and miracles and unicorns all the time. And it's like, we're human. So, we live in the land of dichotomy. And so, for as much joy as we feel, we will feel that much pain and sadness. Um, and so, it's not realistic to think we won't go on that roller coaster ride as we experience life in the human body. We will. The poet
1: Rumi Wrote, I don't know the poem by heart, but wrote a piece about the exquisite beauty or the exquisite joy of sorrow and darkness.
3: Oh, it's so true because only in that darkness can we understand the exquisite joy of when the darkness goes away. I mean, it's like, right? Without hot, you can't know cold, and without love, you can't know fear. And, um, the fear, you know, we love something so much that then we're terrified it's going to be taken away from us. And so it really is, again, when you have that distance after being so shattered, you could go, it's all just amazing.
1: Yeah. Renee Linnell, thank you for sharing a bit of yourself with us. And the book is The Burn Zone, a memoir. To learn more about Renee and her work, please visit com. On Twitter at Renee underscore Linnell. On Facebook, Renee Linnell author and on Instagram, Renee Thanks for sharing yourself with me, with us and, and spending time. And I can't wait to read the next book. So come back.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Lisa. I really loved our time together. Me too. Here comes the break. Thanks for joining us on
1: Harvesting Happiness. This is Lisa Cypers, kamen and my guest today, Dr. Christiane Northrop, and Renee Linnell, wishing you kind thoughts kinder words and the kindest of actions until next time remember happiness is an inside job happiness is your inside job go out and rock your day
0: keep harvesting your own happiness anytime and anywhere from the comfort of wherever you are subscribe listen and share hundreds of downloadable episodes via our free app or from our libraries at toginet.com itunes google play and other fine podcast platforms. To learn more about Lisa's global consulting services, please visit harvestinghappiness.com. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen. Harvesting Happiness is produced in collaboration with TogiNet Radio, KBUU Radio Malibu.net, and is available on PRX, the public radio exchange.